Well, good morning, brothers and sisters, and welcome again uh, in the Word of God and in our study in the Word of God. And also welcome to our online listeners from all over the world. It is so fantastic that we have a medium that we can actually reach not only within our city, but beyond the boundaries thereof. Now, I want to talk to you today about something which I believe everybody knows, and that's corruption. If you talk to a lot of people in different countries, they will talk about corruption within the governments, or they will talk about corruption within a company, and they would endlessly tell you about every single corruption that happens in the governments and in companies. And, and it could be from a small to a massive company. It could be corruption within families. Uh, but certainly it is something which touches every single person in the world. Corruption is not good. Corruption is very bad and we see this happening. Something that could be really, really good and pure can be corrupted and then the purpose, the whole purpose thereof has, has been changed into a new and not so good direction. Now, if we talk about corruption in the governments and we talk about corruptions in companies and, you know, even in, uh, in, in, in armies or in police forces and all of these things, the church is not exempt. And we will see that perfectly today. Because in our study through the seven churches in the book of Revelation, we now come to the fourth church and this church is a corrupt church. And we will see that corruption is not always open in the beginning. It starts off as a secret and once it's gained in enough uh, uh, momentum and critical mass, once it receives enough critical mass, then it comes to the surface. But generally by then, it is costly and it's painful and many times impossible to cut out the corruption. So remember that always. Corruption starts as a secret and then once it goes to that critical mass, it takes over and then it's too late. So I believe that Jesus Christ, when he spoke to John on the Isle of Patmos, that he gave a warning to the church locally about corruption in that church and then prophetically about the corruption in the church today. And then personally, are you corrupted? Are you corrupted? Is your purpose been changed? And how did it come in? So I pray at the beginning of this that the Holy Spirit open up your spiritual eyes to see if corruption is starting to come into your spiritual life. Now, obviously, we talk about the church in the city or in the town of Thyatira. Thyatira is the fourth church. Now, we remember the first one, Ephesus, was the loveless church. And then we had the, the, uh, the, the martyr church or the persecuted church. And then after the persecuted church, we came to the compromising church. Now, corruption is the next step. You generally start with compromising and with compromising, you generally introduce or you allow corruption to come into your midst. Uh, it's the next stepping stone. And once corruption sets in, then it is a terrible situation. Now, just a little bit of background about Thyatira or the city of Thyatira. It is the smallest 
and the least important of all of the cities. But it's not to say that it's not important because there was a church in that city and Jesus deemed it important enough to send to that city this letter. It was an important center for business and trade. It was on the, one of the trade routes, but it was also a strategic city for wartime. So it was small, but it was also important. But one of the things that stood out about Tyra is that it had one of the, the most active trade unions in its center. It is called the Guild, you know, a trade union. And these trade unions were so powerful locally in that place. And you couldn't trade without belonging to one of these unions. It became so much so that if you wanted to trade, you had to go to one of the worship temples there. And I'll talk a little bit about that. But <clears throat> you had to go there to one of these trade shows or trade meetings at the temples. And by going there and pledge allegiance to these false gods, and then later on to the Caesars, because they saw the Caesars as God, and you had to say, uh, Caesar is Lord. Only by doing that, you would receive a pass or a certificate that you could trade. But you had to belong to one of these trade unions. And you can imagine and think that because we've dealt so many times with all of these churches around temples were prostitutes. And it opened up uh, this doorway for Christians, if they wanted to belong to the union, to go to a place which is unholy, but then to be exposed to sexual immorality and to idol worship. This is at the heart of false religion, of pagan worship. And this is why I say you get the compromising church before you come to the corrupt church. So this temple that I'm talking here is there was a special temple in Tyra, And this temple was assigned to the god Apollo, which to them was the sun god. Now, just a quick note here, then when I talk about these gods, it is small letter gods, it's not capital letter gods, because there is only one god. It's not as if these gods existed. It is a, a figment of the imagination. It is paganism. It is not real. But worshipping them became real to the people. And this from the beginning was Satan's plan to be God. And the, he had this mythology that went on about all of these gods. But even if you read through that, it doesn't make sense. So it's in the midst of this that they had the special temple there. And that's in that environment that we find this church. So if we think about the church now in that environment, in that corrupt environment, because these trade unions were run corruptly. I mean, if you know the friend of a friend of a friend who knows the, the chairman of these unions, you get special treatment. It's corrupt. And it's in the midst of this that we find the corrupt church. Now, let me say again, and I want to pick up a line from last week. The church was supposed to be like the mustard seed 
to bring taste and flavor to the world. The church in Titira was planted there by God to bring taste and flavor, not to be influenced or impacted to compromise first of all and then to fall into total corruption. And here we find now a church which that happened too. So what is corruption? Well, corruption is a state of decay. It's not a good thing. It's not a growth. It's not a good growth. It's a state that you go in of decay, of declining, of pollution. There's a good word for that. So corruption is, is a polluted thing. You can also, also say it's incorrectness. That is what corruption is. So when I talk about a corrupt church, you, you need to put on this, this mental image of, you know, this is a church which is in dec decay and, and polluted. Now, corrupt people perform immoral and illegal acts. That is what corruption is. They perform this. People who are corrupted, they are immoral. Uh, they want to destroy the good. Because, you know, what is the opposite of corruption? It's purity. It's perfectness. And if you've got perfectness here and you've got uh, uh, corruption here, you need to be immoral to try to bring perfectness down and decay perfectness and to pollute perfectness. So people who operate in that use illegal means to have personal gain. That's what a corrupt person do. It's personal gain. And they do this without an apology. Some of them even take great joy in being corrupted. And we see the filthiness of that now coming up, up in the world. Just look all over your new, your, your new screens. Follow the, 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 the state-run medias and you will see this happening. It is for personal gain and, and gain and they do it without any apology. When you corrupt someone, you convince them to do something wrong. It's not as if you turn up and you say, look, we're going to corrupt this perfect group here. No, no. You need to start convincing people within that group to do something wrong, to do something immoral, to do something illegal. This is how you bring corruption into a perfect society. And this is what happened to that church. Because as we're going to read now, you will see perfectness and then you see corruption coming in and it causes a decay a pollution so let's get into the word and let's read about what jesus says about this you see god has always got an opinion about everything in the world no no i made a mistake there he hasn't got an opinion he has got a word to everything in the world and his word is true so we read in Revelation 2 verse 18, And to the angel of the church in Titira write, These things says, listen now, look in your Bible, These things says the Son of God, the Son of God, who has eyes like flame of fire and feet like fine brass. Remember what I said, for each church, Jesus picks for himself a characteristic 
out of the title that he gave John in chapter 1. And for this particular church, as you will see, you know, it just didn't happen by chance. For this particular church, Jesus chooses this title. He, he says the Son of God. Now, it is the only time in the book of Revelation that he picks that title. The Son of God. When I read about Jesus when he was on the earth, he uses the title more than any other title, the Son of Man. Now he said to me, <clears throat> what is so important about this? I mean, you read in what Revelation 1 verse 13, uh, when John turns around, he says, in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. And here Jesus says, the Son of God. You've got the Son of God and the Son of Man. And you say to me, what is the difference? Well, I think it's very profound how Jesus uses this. So let's first look at the Son of Man. When John turns around in Revelation 1.13, he says, one like the Son of Man. That's how I identified him. It's because the Son of Man is Emmanuel with us. God came down. He lived amongst us as one of us. And he's the only one who could reach out on our behalf from the earth. The Son of Man reach out to God and intercede and stand in our place in the holiest of all. He did this by taking his own blood as the atonement for our sin into the holiest of all. That is the Son of Man. So why didn't Jesus use this title when he speaks to the corrupt church? Well, I want to suggest to you that they had their chance for this title to be quoted to them. They had their chance. And listen to me, friend, brother, sister, while it is the acceptable year of the Lord, while the grace of God is still roaming on the earth right now with the Holy Spirit present, He will still be the Son of Man to you. But when He comes as the Son of God, that carries with itself judgment against unrighteousness. You say to me, why the Son of God? Let me remind you what I said about this place. In that place was this temple to Apollo, the Son God. <laughs> then the real God turned up. The only God turned up. And it's as if He brings a message to the church. You know, when you go up to the temple, people worship the the God, the Son God, the mighty Son God. But here comes Elohim, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Son comes and He says to them, the Son of God. Not the Son God. This says the Son of God. And that is so profound. Now remember what I say. We living in the acceptable year of the Lord. He is the Son of Man. God with us. He's our high priest to intercede for us in the holiest of all on my behalf. 
But when he comes as the son of God, look at this now. He comes with fiery eyes. What does that represent? Flaming eyes. It represents judgment. It gives us an idea of penetrating eyes. My friend, you can lie to me. You can deceive me. You can stand right in front of me and you can tell me a lie with a smile on your face. And I can buy it. And I can believe you. But there cometh a day when you will stand in front of the Son of God, the Son of Man, and He will look you with those fiery eyes. And those fiery eyes will be penetrating eyes looking right into your heart and into your soul. This is what He says to them. The judgment of God. But not only is it penetrating, is it flaming eyes, but it is feet like fine brass. And I want to show something here to you. You know, again, I say to you, the Bible wasn't just written. It was meticulously written. What do I mean by that? God didn't just use words. Why didn't he just say feet like brass? No, no. He had to say fine brass. Comes the question now. How do you get fine brass and not just brass let me tell you how you get there you multiply the purifying process so how do you get the finest brass you heat up even more and more of the infirmities and the the unpureness comes to the top and you scoop it off and you heat it up more again and you scoop it off until you come to the finest brass. Now, what is the message in this? The message in this is that when we talk about his feet, he talks about pureness, fine brass. He talks about perfection. So this judgment that's coming against corruption, this judgment that's coming to against pollution, against this church if it continues that way comes from perfectness comes from purity comes from incorruptible place and that will judge so that is the christ we are looking at when he speaks to this church so now he says in verse 19 i know your works and he's going to mention six things here now which is again so much to unpack here and remember always, I'm talking to you as an individual. Let me backtrack. When you're going to stand in front of him, it comes from purity. We can't be, we can't stand in front of God on your own merits. There's nothing pure in us. We will stand in front, in front of God through the blood of Jesus Christ who atoned us from our sin. So be, be aware of that. So now he says, I know your works. Now look at this quickly. I know your works, your love, your service, your faith, your patience. And as for you, the works, the last, are more than the first. Remember what I say, we are dealing with a corrupt church. There is six things here which is going to set up the perfect church. The perfect church. That's what he describes here. He starts first with that perfectness. He says, I know your works. 
The word here for works means it's something which you do in toil. It is something that draws uh, strength from you, draws energy from you. You get tired, but you continue on. We all know what I'm talking about. He, he says, I know this kind of works. And let it be known that we are known by our works. A Christian should be busy with the things of God. Because that's the works that he will know us by. Now, I'm by far not saying that, um, you know, I'm preaching a works-based gospel. No, no, that's not what I'm doing. Let me give you the distinction here. Everything you do before the cross of Christ in your walk with God, before you were saved at the cross, all of the work that you do there, all of the good works that you do, all of the, you know, the money you gave away to the old poor beggar, all of the things you do comes to nothing. I'm not talking about those works. You come to the cross, you are saved by the blood of the Lamb. Then the works that comes after that is works of love. And it is works that will, that will draw strength from you, weary you. It's that works that carries us. And it's that works that will determine whether you're a Christian or show we have not. You know, John the Baptist says, Carry, what do you need to do? You need to bear the fruits of repentance. Everything will show. Then he says love. Now this love is agape love that he uses there. It is the same love that God has got for us. What is agape love? Agape love is a sacrificial love. It means that you care more for others than you care for yourself. It means that you do things for the benefit of others at your expense. That's what Christ did on the cross. He gave himself so that we can have life. He, he gave up so that we could be benefited from that. And this is the love that needs to be in the church and into every church member. But then he says service there as well. Have you noticed? Now, what is service? The Greek word here is diakonia. Diakonia means to make disciples and to teach them and let it be known. That is the only work of the church. Now, if I say church, we are the church. I, I, I addressed this past already. The people in the church is the church. And we need to do the service. We need to be making disciples and teach them. I want to ask you today, how long have you been saved? How many disciples have you made? Not for you. How many and how do we make disciples? How do we make disciples? We preach the gospel. Not books or teachings from other people. We preach the good news, the gospel. And you know then what happens. God saved these people, not us. And once they are saved, then it is our work to teach them. To do what? To go and preach the gospel, to make disciples and to teach them. To do what? To go and preach the gospel, to teach them and to, ma uh, to make disciples and to teach them. To do what? I can go on. That is what Christ put us in there to do. These people were doing it. They were doing it. They had the works. They had the love poured into their hearts. And they had the service. But these days, 
You know, we will come into the church and we will be out. I'm on my way to heaven. I, I'm going to go to heaven. Where is the service? Brother and sister, let it be known today. You who can hear my voice today are called into the service. You were called into service. Oh, but I'm not a pastor. I can't preach to people. He never said you were called into be a pastor. But you can share the gospel. And I know. I know many people will be offended by that. But it is. I need to bring you the, the whole gospel. Churches today are too, too full of people who come for the joy ride. You know, bring us the worship. I'm here to worship. And if you can't bring the worship up to their standard, they're dissatisfied. They're not there to serve. Let me continue. We've got so much to say. Then he says, faith. I know your faith, he says. And you see, faith can be seen. It's not a thing which is a mysterious thing. Faith can be seen. I mean, you can go and study the passage, but let me just, you know, bring one scripture verse up for you in James chapter 2 verse 17. And that whole passage talks about faith without works and works without faith. But verse 17 says, thus also your faith by its, excuse me, by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Wait a minute. Faith, if it do not have, have works, is dead. So in other words, after the cross again, you know, once you're saved, your faith is evident in the works you do. We walk by faith. What was Wait a minute. We sit by faith. No, no. We walk by faith and not by sight. Walking is a work we do. James has got it right because it's the word of God. Thus also, faith by itself, if it do not have works, is dead. This church had it. Again, he's giving us an example of a perfect church. And then he says, your patience. Patience, uh, the best word for patience is long suffering. Your patience. And I'm amazed how quickly people lose their patience for other Christians and children of God. That's one of the signs of a, of a church which actions on God's word is the patience. This church had it. Now, let me encapsulate what he says then out of all of that. He says to them, actually, he says, for your works, which is all of these things combined now together, all of these things. He says, the last are more than the first. What does he mean? He means they, they actually, they're excelling in that. They're not getting tired. You know, there's more works, there's more love for each other, there's more service for one another, there's more faith, more patience, and then we come around next year, and then there's more love, and this it, it just continues on, and, and he says it right there, the last is more than the first, so it is a growing one, and that sounds to me like the perfect fellowship. That's a fellowship that I believe you know, ministers and people and, and churches strive for to have this kind of environment. And you know what? 
It's not groups you belong to. It is just everybody. If I have all of that in my heart, I will just give to God everything I've got. So, I use the word then. Not but, then something happened. Remember, we are busy with the corrupt church. What I said before, if you've got perfectness on the one side, you've got corruption. Corruption needs to influence people to do immoral acts or illegal acts to corrupt the perfectness. And we see this now playing out in this church. We draw our attention on verse 20. And he uses a word here, nevertheless. Nevertheless. That's the, the English translation for the Greek word Allah. Now it's not Allah. It's A-double-L-A without the H. This is not talking about a false god. Allah means there is an objection here. Oops, there is a problem here. So we've got perfectness here, we've got perfection here, we've got purity here. But then he says, nevertheless, Allah, there's an objection, there's a problem. So what is the problem? We ask. He says, I have a few things against you. Not only one thing, there's a few things. Let's unpack it. Because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce me, my servants to commit sexual immorality and eating sac things sacrificed to idols. One would have think, thought, one would have thought, it is only Jezebel. But he says a few things. You see, Jezebel is a spirit that we find in the Old Testament. We will look at that. But when he says a few things here, I want you to get the idea of this doctrine which is sweeping so many churches is the doctrine of inclusiveness. What do you mean, preacher? Well, inclusiveness, inclusiveness means that we accept anyone. It doesn't matter what they believe. Oh, Preacher, you know, we can't be so really down onto the word, fundamental on the word. You know, we can compromise a little bit. Whoops, there comes that word. You know, let's include them because maybe it's a different perspective which we need to learn from. Maybe we don't see it the way they see it. And you are absolutely correct. <laughs> we do not see the way they see. And that's the problem. I, I'm not preaching to you all these years to make you see it like I see it. The way I see it means nothing. Oh, but it's the way that God wants it that matters. And there's a straight path there. There's no gray areas there. The Bible says in him there is no darkness at all. But yet... The doctrine of inclusiveness says there is some gray areas, okay? Some gray areas. Let's learn to live with that. Again, perfection, in comes corruption. Let me show you. He says you allow Jezebel. Now, Jezebel had brought paganism and 
and uh, sexual immorality through that paganism to the northern kingdom of Israel. We know the whole account of uh, Jezebel. You can go and read that in 1 Kings chapter 21. There was one woman there. It, it was all that spirit was encapsulated into one woman called Jezebel. Let me just say to you, I believe that Jezebel's spirit do not only operate in women, but it can also operate in men. So, but this is a terrible spirit when it operates within your church. You can go and read all about that. Jezebel had over 900 prophets, and uh, which was appointed by her. I want to make the distinction, not by God. Because he addresses it so, so well, uh, Jesus, when he says it to us. You see, Jezebel is just in this particular church. And when Jesus addresses this, he's, he's just a forerunner, a forerunner for the apostate church, which is found in Revelation 17. Now, I also want to make a distinction here. The apostate church in Revelation 17 is not the church of Christ we're in now. Okay, I believe and I'm going to preach after the seven churches about the rapture by Revelation 17. The church has been removed from the earth. So let's talk about this lady then or the spirit then. He says there, I've got it against you that you allow. You allow this to happen. You see, that is the inclusiveness you just allow it once and then it, the seed's there. I said to you a few weeks ago, I was approached by a group um, who, who is a worldwide group. They're looking for worldwide peace, worldwide understanding of different religions and passages of the Bible. They wanted me to come sit on a panel and discuss a, a, a topic, discuss a topic. I said no, because I was going to sit under their banner, which I disagree with. I do not sit under any banner, but under the blood of Christ. But you see, they allowed this, this uh, woman to come in. And, and look how he says it. He says, who calls herself a prophetess. She calls herself a prophetess. She is self-proclaimed prophetess. Again, you can believe whatever you want to believe. I have studied the Bible and I believe today that Every person who walks upon the earth today calling himself a prophet of God is a self-professed prophet, just like Jezebel. No, no, the prophets and the apostles, let me throw the apostles in, was the foundation on which the church were built, Colossians. There's so many self-proclaimed apostles which brought corruption into the churches. And, and Jesus calls it out right here. He says she calls herself a prophetess. I mean, he warned us in Matthew 24 verse 11 as well. He said, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Brother and sister, dear friend, you can hear my voice now. There is much deceivement in the church today by self-proclaimed prophet, prophetesses and apostles and apostolesses, whatever that female 
wording of that is. You just turn up in your Google, uh, uh, you just turn up on YouTube and you will find one prophetess after another prophetess. And, and the, the alarming fact of this all is, uh, all of them goes, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord. One even said the Lord spoke to her audibly through a bird. That is blasphemy. And then if you talk about these things, then they, which was said to me in New Zealand, they excommunicate you from the Holy Spirit. Who gives you the right to do that? It's not your spirit. It's God's spirit. But this one calls herself a prophetess. To do what? To teach. To teach. And therein lies another problem. You know, if I bring in uh, Paul here and talking about teaching in churches, who is allowed to teach in church? But this one comes here and, and, and what does teaching do? Teaching is making disciples of her doctrine. And, you know, I've said it to somebody I'm, I'm communicating on, uh, uh, on Facebook currently and uh, and here is the big thing, you know, if you ask somebody these days, how is, how is your relationship with Christ going? The first thing they come up is, oh, our church, you should come to our church, you should come to our church. Oh, it's a vibrant, come to our vibrant church. I didn't ask you about your church. Oh, our pastor, he's such a charismatic man. Man, you should hear that man speak. He speaks a equivalent, man. Hmm. I wonder whom your church and that you know, charismatic person has made disciples for. Because when I ask you, you never told me about Jesus Christ. You see, I say it again. My work as a preacher is to point you towards Christ. I do not want you to follow me. I do not want, I, I don't want you to be my little disciples. No. See, teachers to get disciples. Again, go back to 1 Kings. This, by the way, is not the Jezebel physical lady, person who died in, in, in the book of Kings. But she calls and she teaches. Now, what does he teach? She teaches through seduction. The word there is planau. Planau. Now, I can make up a few words there, you know, plan or a plane. But the idea here is to lead people away from the truth seductively, secretly. You see, Jesus was right. I've got a few things against you. Not only did you allow this woman in there, you allowed her to teach, to make disciples of her own. And then you allowed her to secretly bring in her doctrines into the church, into the church. Now, to lead them away from the truth, to corrupt this per perfect church. Now, the question is then, what is the truth? What is the truth that she is deceiving away for people from to what? Just like a forerunner in 1 Kings, sexual immorality. He says it right there, to commit sexual immorality and eating things sacred to idols. That means idolatry. Now, let me put it to you this way. Remember these trade unions? You are, you are working in one of these trade unions and they've got a, a conference at the Temple of Apollo and you go there 
And she taught inclusiveness. It's all right for you to go. You know, as a Christian, doesn't you, you need to work. God will understand. You need to have your business. You need to have everything. You know, God will understand if you turn up there. At uh, you know, you, you're not going to do anything else. You're just going to go there for your little certificate. Oh, but when you get there, seduction starts. Seduction starts. And don't you come to me and say that you are pure. No, no. Paul says, he says, Oh, wretched man that I am in the present tense. He was a saved man. Who will save me from this body of sin? Who will? It's a body of death. It's this body. So, uh, so he then goes on to the verse 21. He says, And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality. And she did not repent. As you, re you remember what I said about repentance, it is a change of mind about the sin that you're doing. She was corrupting. And he gave her time to repent of corruption. Time talks about the patience of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God. There is still grace for you, my friend, but take it. Do not let the second part of this verse play part over you. And she did not repent. She did not. You see, God gives us grace and strength if we but turn to Him to walk away from corruption. Listen to what Peter says, okay? It's not me saying that. What, 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And His divine, divine power has given to us. His, listen, you need to go and search this in your Bible. Underline it. Study it. His divine power. Dunamis. His divine power has given to us. What? All things that pertain to life and godliness. Preacher, what? His divine power. You say, how do I get it? How can this Jesse Bell, he gave a time to repent of sexual immorality and, and of corruption and these things. How? By His divine power. You can't just sit there and think I'm going to become a better person. You need to ask Him for His power to help you to all things that pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Now, having escaped the corruption having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's how you escape corruption, by His divine power. But it's sad she did not repent. Verse 22, Indeed I will cast her into a sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation. Make a note there. Into great tribulation. And we're going to have fun about that. Unless they repent of their deeds, I will kill her children. 
with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. Remember, his title that he uses for this church was the flaming eyes of fire penetrating here he, he he just confirms what i say to you he says know that i am he who searches the minds and the hearts and i will give to each one according to your works first of all the consequences for sin are severe there is no gray matter about this. It's severe. He says, I will cast her into a sickbed. The, the sickbed here is talking about in those days as a, a, a couch, a, a kind of a couch where you can lean on. And, and you know, it's very familiar in the Middle East where you can, it's a big couch. You can actually sleep on the couch, but it's a big couch you can lean on for comfort, for rest. But what she used that couch for was for the sexual immorality. And he's going to use that same place that he's going to cast it down into. Now, obviously, the reference here is eventually, eventually, the lake of fire, the bed of rest where they will go to, which is not rest, which is a tom uh, 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 going to be torturous for them. So it's a fitting place for this to be punished. Now I want you to look at that word there. He says, and those who commit idolatry with her, what will happen to them? Into great tribulation. Now there are some people who say this is a sign that the church will go through the tribulation. Not so. Not so. Read the verse again. Because this reference here comes after chapter 4 and works itself up to a crescendo in Revelation chapter 17, where this spirit will be dealt with, the great harlot. Now, you say to me, so explain to me a little bit further. So he says, let me read the verse again. And those who commit adultery with her, let it be known, that if you commit this adultery and you're not saved, you will not go with the church out. You will go to the Great Tribulation. A few weeks, maybe a month or so ago, I preached about there will be a church that's going to go through tribulation. But it's not the bride of Christ. It's not you and me. It is the ones who will, who will try their best to worship after the church is removed. It's these people who commit adultery with her. They will go through a great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. He says, I will kill her children. So what comes with sexual immorality? Well, they come children. You can actually say that this corruption has, has, has birthed little corrupted babies. That's what false teaching do. Again, I come back to you. Starts by one corruption coming in, corrupted one, two, three people in a church. What is that? That's multiplication. What is children? It's multiplication. You know, we say a bad apple into a bunch of apples. What happens? It defaults the whole thing, but it starts with one apple. It connects with the apple next to it, corrupts that apple, that apple, that apple, that apple. It, it starts getting babies. <laughs> Minister, listen to me now. If you identify this in your church, get rid of it. 
So he says here that uh, I will kill her children. We find a reference of children of these kind of things in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 3. Let me read for you. But come here, you sons of the sorceress. Well, that was, by the way, one of the things as well. Sorcery, witchcraft, Jezebel, spirit, all in one. And here in Isaiah, the prophet says, But come here, you sons of the sorceress, you offsprings of the adulterer. There we go. And the harlot. All of them refers into this Jezebel. Whom do you ridicule? Question mark. Against whom do you make a wide mouth and stick out the tongue? Inclusiveness. Hey, you're, you're a small group there. Why are you so serious? That's not laugh. Poking the tongue out, the tongue. South African slipped out there. Are you not children of transgression, offspring of falsehood, inflaming yourself with God's small little smith letter under every green tree, slaying the children in the valleys under the clefts of the rock? So this is well documented. And here he says, and then he says, I will give each one to his own work. Now I want to hurry on because there's great excitement when we continue. Verse 24 says, Now to you I say, and to the rest in Tyre, as many as do not have this doctrine. You see, that's what I said in the beginning. It's a doctrine of inclusiveness. Who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. This to a perfect church whose last, uh, last works is better than the previous works. He says, I will put no other burden on you. Now, let me ask the question to those who tells me to prepare the church to go through the tribulation. Then Jesus would tell a liar. He says here to you who do not hold on to the corrupt doctrine, I will not put another burden on you. So why would he then allow these people who held on to go through tribulation? Just asking. Verse 26, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel. That's Christ. That's when he comes and he set up his kingdom for a thousand year reign on the earth. That comes after Revelation 19. As I also have received from my father and I will give him the morning star. That's Christ, the morning star. Now, Jesus promises that his people would reign with him in this passage. Who is that? That is you and me. This is fantastic here. This is great news. Now, these people who hold on will rule over the earth. As what? As kings and priests. They do not no longer have to please some trade union who rules over them. Now they will rule over that. But when Jesus comes and he sets up his kingdom, we will be kings and priests. You say, where's the evidence of that? Revelation 1.5, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. This is the doctrine of kings and priests. Such a fascinating promise. 
He was an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So that is the church in Tyra, the corrupt church. Let me ask you, what's the personal application? What have you allowed into your life as a compromise and has now corrupted you so much that it is actually controlling your life? It's controlling your life. Things which were taboo is now acceptable. That's the personal application. Now, as you know, I compare these churches to the kingdom parables in Matthew 13. And again, I repeat myself that the Gospels were written in the New Testament under the Old Covenant. Jesus said to them in the last night before he died, he said, the blood is the New Covenant. And the Bible says that the New Covenant only comes into effect once the testator dies. And he died at the end of the Gospels. Written at the end. The Bible says he first came to his own, but they, they didn't want to have him. They, they rejected him. And when he died, that then put into law, by law, the New Testament, the, the replacement one, if you can. No, no. The new one. It's not a replacement. It fulfilled the previous one. So we're looking at the fourth kingdom parable here now. In Matthew 13, verse 33, and you will find this absolutely fascinating. Let me read it to you. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of the meal till it was all leavened. A short parable, but it says so much. We were talking right all the last 40 minutes about a woman in the church in Tyra who caused corruption. This parable is about corruption. Leaven is corruption. This is why we eat at the communion table unleavened bread. The pure, the perfect Jesus was unleavened. No sin entered him. And here he says another parable he spoke to them. He says the kingdom is like Leaven, it's like corruption. Which a woman, and I've heard so many teachings about that. They say, you know, it shows us how quickly the, the kingdom of God, of heaven will grow over the earth. And that's like the corruption, the, the, the leaven which we put into the dough and, and it rises and it becomes so big. No, no, you need to read this in, in context. There will be corruption in some of these things. And he says here, like leaven which a woman took. Revelation, we saw that a woman is the one who called herself a prophetess, who taught and led people into sexual immorality and idolatry. Uh, idolatry. And see what she does, which a woman took and hit. She didn't do it openly. It was a secret thing that happened came in and secretly put in the leaven, in the dough. What happened in Revelation? She seduced them. It wasn't open at first. She came with seduction until the compromise took place and corruption entered. Until all was leavened. What did Jesus say there? He said to them, now I say to the rest of as many as you do, you do not have this doctrine, so, so before it all could, he says to the children, um, 
I will know your hearts and your minds. So Jesus warned the church not to be corrupted all the way. So there you have it, the fourth church, the corrupt church. Again, I come back to this, that Jesus said that he will himself <clears throat> search the minds and the hearts, not of buildings, but of people like you and me. And he will give to each one according to his works. May the Lord bless you. I pray that he spoke to you today and that you've learned more about him and more about the message to the church. Let us as a church, not only me, you as well, because you're part of this church, be watchful and prayerful for compromise to come in and corruption. And ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. It is powerful. It's living. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts between spirit and soul, bone and marrow. And it's the discerner of the heart. Father, I thank you for your word. Help us, Lord, to keep your eyes open for corruption. Help us to be Bereans. Help us, Father, to listen to you. Have a spirit of discernment. I pray this in Jesus' name.